Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Well, good morning, Harvest, and uh, good morning to those of you that are watching us online. Uh, those of you that are, have walked normally where the cameras are at, you probably haven't noticed that we've mounted them, so now you have a little bit of free access. Doesn't mean you need to go back and forth during the service, but you do have a little bit of free access without ducking your head. Isn't that great? Everybody say, thanks, Brent. Thanks, Brent. That's right. You did a great job. Oh, and Jared, Jared spotted him this morning, so we appreciate, appreciate those guys. Hey, just uh, had some malfunctions during the, the announcement time, so let's just review a couple things. Harvest Youth is at our house tonight. Uh, they're going to be fixing the floors. Um, the Rule King thing, right? It's pretty awesome. The, the uh, uh, church week, it's actually 14 days. And so um, just understand that the 13th they open, and we want to visit them, but we want to start buying stuff on the 14th, and like tractors, and lawnmowers, and ammo. They're supposed to have a bunch of ammo if you're one of those kind of folks that likes to buy a lot of ammo. And, uh, and ladies, you can buy tractors and lawnmowers and tell your friends and we'll have a little detailed thing on Sunday about how you turn in those receipts. So it's just real simple. You just have to go to a website and and punch that in. But um, anyway, more on that next week. And also uh, pretty excited about the ladies day uh, coming up. I know one of the speakers uh, is my wife and so you guys are going to be part of that. And then men, I want you to put on your advanced calendars May 1st it's a potential, real strong potential men's day right now, and uh, to include maybe, maybe barbecuing a pig and, or goat and um, shooting guns and fishing and things like that. So uh, advanced cost is like 10 bucks on that, man. So May 1st, uh, teenagers, adults need to be uh, hanging out with us in that. And then don't forget your open arms pregnancy uh, bottles there. Uh, we've, we've got six left, and um, mine's almost full, so I might grab another one. But if you need one, I'll let you go first. All right? Uh, that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? So uh, if you have your Bible, start uh, turning in that direction. It's Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to pray. And then um, we'll get into our text, okay? Heavenly Father, we do thank you in Jesus' name uh, for all that you do. We thank you for the love that you have for us. Now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear. Holy Spirit, remove the scales from our eyes to see your word. Unclog our ears so that we might hear. We have come into your presence to worship today, and we ask that you would help us. We know that the efforts that we give are for your glory, and they aren't enough, and so we just pray that you would receive them as feeble as they are. We thank you for the testimony of Dave, Father. We thank you for how you've worked in people in our, in our church, in our lives, and how you are, are still working. We give you glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our text today 
is uh, found in Ephesians chapter 6. Majority of that section uh, is what we're looking at, but we are going to actually back up into verse uh, 31 and start there, and it's going to help us in our message. Our, Our title of our message today is this, New Beginnings, New Life in Our Relationships, Part 2. New Life in Our Relationships, Part 2. Okay, so from the Word of God, verse 31. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, let me just stop there for a second. Just understand in this context uh, that servants or slaves, really that's the better translation of the word here, has nothing to do with race. It was across the board more like indentured servanthood. Okay, so understand when he's not talking to a specific group of people that came from a specific country, but even within your own country, you could have slaves. It was something that happened then. Don't tune it off. There is a principle here. All right, back to verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from a good heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. and Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, that's our text today. I want to begin this way. One of my favorite mini-series of books written by uh, an author, I I like several different kinds, but one of the ones that really has stuck with me, and probably since a kid, has been the stories of the Chronicles of Narnia. You familiar? They began over the last few years to make movies about that. And I I sat down as they started making the initial uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I began to read them again as an adult, with an adult's perspective of what Lewis was writing to children. And the one that really stood out to me is the story of the Don Treader. And it's a great story, but you meet a new character in that story. Uh, Eustace is a cantankerous... The kid who played it in the movies, they just played it perfectly. This kid you couldn't stand. And the part that stood out to me and almost had me in tears was... In the, in the course of the book, if you're familiar with it, he goes to the wrong area and turns into a dragon. It was supposed to be a personification of who he actually was. 
And so for the rest of the book, he was this dragon, and they finally figured out it was him, but he could not come out of that until at the very end when he met Aslan. And I love what it said, and so I I, I have it here, and I just want to read it. He said, Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, and this is Eustace recalling this to Edmund. He says, I will have to, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. And I can tell you, I, I was pretty near desperate now. So I just laid flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began to pull, uh, when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. But the only thing that made me able to bear was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeling off. And he peeled the beastly stuff right off of me. Just as I had tried to do myself, but had done nothing. And there I was lying on the grass. And when he was finished, I was smooth and soft and smaller than I'd ever been. Then he caught a hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was tender underneath because I had no skin, and he threw me into the water, and it hurt like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, and I found that all the pain had gone from me. It's a beautiful picture of the metamorphosis of his life as he gave himself over to Aslan and what it meant to be a true follower, in this case, of the, the, the chronicle of the Narnians, to be a believer in. Now, I say that as a picture, obviously, of our life, as we've seen in this text. We have said over the Over the last uh, few weeks, new beginnings, new life in our families is what we're looking at. And if we are in Christ, listen, if that's you, we won't make you raise hands, but if that's you, and if you are in Christ, and if you belong to Him, and if we're to live by the Spirit as we've been telling you, then, hear me, the help for our message today, everything has to change. Everything has to change. In fact, say that with me so I know you heard me. Everything has to change. Everything. New beginnings, new life, new relationships, new communication. Everything has to change. Especially in my work, in my family, and especially, men, ladies, in your marital relationship. The key phrase in this process, and maybe you can see it, but we'll just kind of go back to chapter 5, verse 22, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It goes on to verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. We go ahead to verse, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ, rendering service 
to the Lord, masters do the same. The key phrase in all of this relationship stuff is as to the Lord. Understand that. Don't do it because I'm asking you to do it. That will end in a big F. Failure. Do it because you're doing it to the Lord. And one of the ways he wrote this, he wrote this, we, we kind of got into the Greek a couple weeks ago when Jer was talking, but it, it's written in the in, uh, imperative, it's a command, it's written in the present tense, which means it's a continuous command, all of these commands that we're going to look at here, and it's in an active voice, which means whoever it's speaking to, they're the one that's supposed to be doing it, okay? So we're going to look at different groups here, and if you fall into one of those categories, obviously teenagers and young people, you don't hit that category of married yet, right? Right? So you pay attention to the part that hits you. Okay? All right. So, key phrase, as to the Lord, that's why you're, how you're doing it. The hub of the message is everything must change. Everything must change, write this down, in my marriage. In my marriage. Notice we go back to verse 22, and we're just going to hit highlights of a passage we looked at last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. All right. Now, let's look up here for a second, because we have to set the stage of how this is important in its writing, and it is about contextualization and who Paul was writing to. If we understand, like today, love your, love your wife, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I wouldn't have married her if I, I mean, come on. And if we set the stage back to when Paul wrote this to the people that he wrote it to, that was not an issue. I mean, that was an issue, excuse me. It was an issue because there were arranged marriages. The, the, the husband... The father was to be the provider, the ultimate authority, the trainer. Uh, he, was, he had the power of life and death. The wife or the mother was to be the manager of the household. The, she was the one to impart morals and chastity and the teacher of the children. But what you had, in a sense, listen, was a paper marriage. Just a paper marriage. Right? Men, if they needed pleasure, went to their concubines and told their wives to have their pleasure with the slaves. There was no love there. So when Paul says to men, love your wife, this was radical thinking that came along with salvation. As Christ loved you, you impart that to the wife that someone else has given you. In fact, Caesar, Caesar Augustus was so concerned with the divorce rate in Rome and the singleness of men that he treated the men differently who were not married. So if you don't want to be taxed more, you got married. It was a problem. But as women's rights came along, women were like, I don't want to be in a marriage that a man doesn't love me. So the majority of women were seeking divorce. And so you had submission issues and you had love issues. And rightfully, Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, he's like, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, let's look at each one of them. Let's begin with the wife. The wife is called to submit. But notice, as we read this, key into the specifics. 
of the verse. Key into the specifics. It says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husband. Specific. As to the Lord. Specific. Now the word submission or submit is the word hupotasso. And it's a military term where you would arrange yourself underneath a ranking official. It didn't mean that that ranking official was smarter than you. Did you hear me? It didn't mean that that ranking official was better looking than you. It didn't mean that that they were wealthier than you. They were just in a position of authority given by somebody else. And they were in the military term to submit to that authority. And now Paul uses that picture for the home. Notice it was to your own husband. Notice it was as to the Lord. Those are the parameters of submission. The key is to whom? Every man? No. Ladies, you're not to submit to every man. This text, 1 Peter says, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And if you want to fire me up, look, you want to fire me up, you come over to my wife and tell her to submit to you. That, that's fighting words right there. That's not your place. We have a oneness in us. God has put us together. And man, it's false teaching if you think all women need to Submit to you. And you want to get Pastor Nate kind of upset with you? That's one way to do it. You come along with your high church, southern gospel fried, I'm the man, all women must submit to me attitude. That's going to be a problem. Because that's not how we treat our ladies here at Harvest. Amen, men? Men, you don't have a blanket submission card for all women. It's one woman, your wife, And the odds are, if you have that egotistical type of attitude towards women, you're probably having a problem with that submission thing right now with her. I found this helpful on submission. MacArthur wrote, she, talking about your wife, she willingly submits to the one she possesses. Don't miss that. She possesses as her husband. It's mutual possessiveness It's mutual submission. She submits to the one she possesses as her husband. Listen, I'll be the first to tell you, and you all know this, I married up, way up, and most of you men in this room did, but she willingly submits. And my job's not to rub it in her face. Her submission is seen as an act of worship. Men, her submission is seen as an act of worship to God. I'm not submitting to you. I'm submitting to him as to the Lord. Ladies, you get the teaching on it. I understand. Right? Just remember that you are called to do this, and it's as to the Lord to your husband. There's lots of submission in the Bible. 
We are all to submit to God. We are all to submit to authority. We're all to submit to the leaders of the church. We are, and now we get into the family issues. It's just kind of coming downhill. We're just supposed to submit. Submission is specific in the scriptures, though. It's never just a blanket statement. Up with my rights, though. Down with my submission. Up with my rights, down with my joy. Up with my submission, all of us. Up with my submission, down with my rights. And watch the Lord work. Now, let's get to the husbands. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the word agape. That's that self-sacrificing, self It's that sanctifying, sincere, selfless, sustaining love that we looked at last week. You are to love, again, specific. Notice the specific here. Your wife, as Christ, loved the church. The husband is not to treat the wife as the servant or the child, but as the equal that God has given them for care. And notice in the text, as we go through this, notice three kinds of love here. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. That's the first love. That's the the past love. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for it. Where did he do that? Come on, church. On the cross. That's that's sacrificial. That's sacrificial love. So let me just ask you, men, how's that going? What are you sacrificing to show that you're loving? Secondly, present love. Verse 26 says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Present love, that he might sanctify her. That's ongoing. Now, there's a little context here that he might sanctify her by the washing of the water with the word. And in context, contextualization to the text here, the ladies would, before they were married, would go down to the river there in Ephesus and, and they would be bathed in a purification process so that they would enter this marriage, this paper marriage, as pure. Now, Paul is putting it in context that they would understand, no, it wasn't that. It was God washing you with the water of the word. And he's saying he's sanctifying the church in that way. And men, our love is to be one that would be sanctifying Let me ask you, men, not only how are you sacrificing for her, but how are you helping her be holy? That's the process of sanctification, is that holiness process there. How are you helping her be holy? Are you helping? Are you hindering her holiness? Let the word of God speak. And then notice future love, that he may present her It says in splendor, really the word is glorious. So the idea of Christ is that he is 
sanctifying you from the cross on progressively so that one day you stand before him and it's glorious. There's an ob- a logical question there about you and your spouse then. Not only uh, how are you sacrificing for her, how are you, not only how are you helping her be holy, but men, how, how are you making her look glorious? It says in the text, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. It says, verse 30, we are, well, let's go back up a little bit first. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. For the one who loves his wife loves himself. For, the one who, uh, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it. Now, this is about something called oneness. Anybody in the room tell me about oneness? We've been studying in our premarital counseling. And it's a unique phrase. In fact, when he says, the, the, he quotes Genesis uh, chapter 3, he says they'll cleave to one another. That, that idea of this deep-seated glue that holds this together. And he's saying, listen, men, love them in such a way that you love your own body. Now, we love ourselves. We love a little us. Right? We need a little me time. And he's saying, listen, you nourish and cherish yourself. Those are two interesting words. Nourish uh, being this, uh, provide for, and cherish uh, that tender physical affection, security. He's like, like you do that for yourself, do that for her because she's actually, you're one now. You're seen as, the, in our household, the Davises, right? The Durhams or the, the Atkins or McElwain's. Start naming people. Don't be offended. I didn't hit you, okay? That's, that's it. And if you're letting one side go, you're failing in your role as loving your spouse. So it's a deep, unbreakable bond. Men, you're to nourish and cherish her. Provide for her. Cherish her tender love, physical affection to give warmth and security. Action. Action step here. So in each one of these, we're going to have an action step. Action step number one is this. Embrace the oneness in your God-given role 100%, 110%. I think I used 110%. What did I use? 110%. That's like, boom. That's like, whew, a lot. Right? So embrace that role whether it be in submission or whether that be in love, with an attitude unseen in all of mankind. Men, you, you, this mutual submission, just embrace it. See, here's the thing about submission, and everybody gets like, oh, it's going to be so bad, he's going to talk on this. Right? Can we really be honest for a minute and talk about how many decisions you actually have to submit for in a, a period of a year? I mean, most of them, you're like, why are you telling me this? Well, I just want you to be informed. Well, I would have made the same decision. Like, you bought the 49-cent eggs instead of the $1.49 eggs. Duh. But there are maybe one, maybe five decisions that you make in a year's time where you just got to, ladies, look at your husband and go, I have an opinion. I have stated my opinion. I'm trusting you. 
And when it all falls apart, you don't have to say anything. It's probably better that you don't say anything. They know. And the next time, we're like, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it up the flagpole a little bit better this time with the wife, and I, I'm going to pay attention. Right? So let's not be scared of submission. It's mutual. Maybe three in a thousand decisions you have to actually submit to, but, but notice, it's good for the gospel's sake. Your family running as God calls it to run is good for the gospel's sake. So embrace your oneness and your God-given role 110%. Do it. Be what God ordained you to be. Now, with that being said, let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So we're going we're to talk about the children for just a minute. Now, let's just define, because some of you are thinking, I'm not a child. Um, well, it's an offspring. Um, and, who's, and typically, this is one who's still under the parent's care. All right? So you, maybe you're a teenager. You're still under the parent's care. Maybe you're in your 20s to 30s. You're still un- and you're in your parents' house. You're still under your parents' care, or, or you, they float you alone every other week. You're still under your parents' care. Okay? So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. So what's the command here? Well, there's kind of two. The first one is to obey. That's to listen attentively and then respond in kind. And then, secondly, it's to honor and that's to show respect, love, and care. Okay? So that's the imperative. That's the command. That's what you're continually supposed to be doing. Listen, <laughs> obey. How many have ever heard that from your parents? They even taught us a song. We won't sing it. But there was like a song that even helped us spell obedience. It's the very best way to show that you believe. Well, let's just talk about ways that we can honor our parents by obeying. Ways that we can honor our parents. I I just wrote down four. According to this text, we honor our parents by obeying. Obedience. But, 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 we honor them with rapid response. Right? Because, like, playing my video game. I want you to take the trash out. Uh-huh. Three hours later. Did you take the trash out? I was gonna. I'll get to it. Is that rapid response? Some of you might be saying yes. Let me just define that for you as no. It is not rapid response. Or, God lover, there's, there's a young lady, and I would just happen to be here at, at their house for this, and she was asked to do a task at her house, like, let's just say, mow the grass, and, and she didn't want to, but she obeyed, but the way that she obeyed was not in a timely fashion, and the, the things that she was yelling from the tractor that she didn't think I could hear were, like, not very honoring at all. Obedience, rapid response. Teens? Since most of you are over here, I'm just going to speak to you guys for just a minute. 
Here's the third one. Words of affection. Now, I know that when you get to be your age, you really don't want to tell your parents you love them. But sometimes they need to hear it. And you honor them by honoring them with words of affection. When's the last time you, you said to your mother, man, you're fantastic. You did a really great job. When's the last time you thanked your father for going to work and encouraging him in the work that he has? And sometimes when you honor them, you honor them by physically saying something to them for the hard work that they're doing to provide for you. Now, some of you still need to hear that at 45, 50, 85. Words of affection or affirmation. And then, um, lastly, get, get along with your siblings. You want to honor your parents? Get along with your siblings. Now listen, uh, our house was, had the same amount of children as the Durham house had. We didn't always get along. And I can remember fights that really bothered my mother at a specific point in time. John and I were fighting and she just broke down in tears. Why can't we just get along? And then she would call us by every name but our name. Martha. I mean, I called Martha a lot. Why? Tim, Ken, you too. The problem was I wasn't honoring them by loving my siblings. Think about that. How hard is that? Well, the text doesn't stop there, but I want to give children an action. All right? Teenagers, young adults, children, here's your action. Write this down. This is your part of the service. Honor God by following and honoring your parents. Write that down. My job this week is to honor God by honoring and following my parents. All right. That's going to be my job. All right. Now, the text doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, fathers was important contextually because fathers were the ones who basically had the right to life and death. And let me explain that. When a child was born, we'll have, we'll have a, a baby or, or two maybe here born soon, and the father went, would be sitting out there waiting for the baby to be born, and then the baby was brought and placed before the father. And the father could say, yay or nay. That was how life was in Rome. If the father picked the baby up, it was part of the family. Think about that. But if the father stood up and walked away, right? It, it could have just laid there until it died. They could have put it in an orphanage. It was not to be part of that family at all. So when he talks to fathers, he's talking to the one who has the right over everything in this society. Now, parents, 
this really is for you. It says, do not provoke. That is to exacerbate, to anger. It's to go on and on in a repeated pattern of treatment. Don't provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the systematic training, that's discipline, and the behavior or actions, that's the instruction. You're, you're, you're correcting those things, that's the instruction. And the systematic training, that's the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs 3 says that if they are brought up in the discipline of the Lord, they'll lie down and sleep at night. They will sleep sweetly. Proverbs 22 says, as parents, you are to train your child in the way that they are to go and they will not depart from it. So fathers, do not provoke. Ones that are provoked have deep-seated resentment towards their families. And as soon as they get a car, as soon as they get their license, you never see them. They're gone to work. They're gone to their friend's house. They're, they don't want to be around because they're constantly being provoked. Well, how, how, do, I, how do I provoke my children? Nate, what, I mean, what are some things that I, I might be doing that I, I need to stop doing? All right, well, here's some. Uh, ten. Now, I got majority of these from the MacArthur uh, commentary, but uh, there are a few that I added because I felt were appropriate. Uh, ten ways we provoke our children. We smother them. That's kind of a big deal these days, umbrella parents. You know, they've gotten to the point where you have to tell parents this is a, uh, this is a non-parent uh, sporting event. Or practices are without parents. You've you been there, right? Your parents aren't allowed to show up at practice and help coach the coach who's coaching the kids. They're smothering. Or... Or number two, uh, favor one above another. Well, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that because I'm only having one kid. Well, we'll see about that, right? But there can be a tendency in some relationships to favor one child above another. Time spent with one, where the other one's kind of going, I, I kind of wish maybe mom would spend time with me. Gifts given to one, not equal to or just as awesome to the other. People know that. And I'm not saying that because I'm a second-born and I got all kinds of issues. I mean, I am a second-born and I have all kinds of issues, but I'm just saying. Achievement-driven parents. Achievement-driven parents. Thank, thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. My parents are here as a witness. They never cared what grades I got. They didn't want me to have an F. They'd bench me from sports if I had an F, but I never had that, you got to have A-minuses all the time. But there are some parents like that. you got to bat 400 in softball. you got to make the right catch. you got to be the best. And, and they're like, what? Provoking. Discouragement. Where nothing is ever good enough for you. You celebrate the good, but you... <laughs> I mean, you quickly, oh, that was really nice that you got an A, but I noticed you got a B plus right here in this class. You're grounded till you bring that up. Making them feel unwanted. No time. 
I wrote this down, not letting them grow up at a child's pace. Be careful with these two words. Grow up. And sometimes we have to be reminded that they're, they're only 13. They're only seven. Why do you got to be an adult? You don't. Grow up at your, your own pace. How God gifted you. Using love as a reward. It's dangerous. And then we just get into the, I mean, this is just no-brainer, but I had to add it. Physical abuse. Emotional abuse. Verbal abuse. I mean, these are ways, parents, that we provoke our children. And the imperative command of the text from the Lord, not from Pastor Nate, everybody say from the Lord, is that you not provoke your children. But you bring them up in the systematic training. Discipline is still in the Bible, and you are still to discipline. Right? Failing to discipline is not good for your children. But also instruction. I was a little bit of a firebug growing up. And my parents had to not only discipline, but instruct on why that was not a good idea to burn down the house or the church. I just thought fire was cool. But let me just say, there was some discipline. I, I survived. And there was some instruction. Parent, here's your action. Lead as unto the Lord. Lead as unto the Lord. Right? You, this is an exhaustive list, but it's not everything. It's, there's others, I'm sure, things that, that you, we can be doing better. Just understand that we are to lead as to the Lord. Nowhere in Scripture is the primary training of our kids assigned to agencies outside of the home. It's our responsibility. I love what uh, Vody Bachman said. He said, if I teach my son to catch a ball but fail to teach him about Jesus Christ, I have failed as a parent. If I teach them to succeed at catching a ball and not following Christ, I failed. What do I do, Nate? Well, I know I'm going to get some feedback from the teens today when they come to my house for youth, but um, sometimes we treat our puppies better than we treat our children. We take them along for rides in the back of the truck. We take them hunting. We take them for walks. We let them nuzzle up next to it. I mean, I'm one to talk, right? Because people know about me and my dog. We take them in the cars and we let them sit on our lap. I mean, I wouldn't suggest doing that with your kids these days. But you get what I'm saying? Like someone says, you want to you have a good dog, take them everywhere you go. You want to have a good child? Show them that same kind of love and respect you would a puppy. 
Let them know that it's a joy to be around them. Dads, your kids need your hands on them. Not only in the discipline, but in the love. It's not provoking if you do it in a manner that is in discipline and instruction. Moms, especially you moms that hang out at the house most of the time, I know it's difficult to look at those children, but don't provoke them. Love them. Instruct them. Discipline them. Parent as to the Lord. Lastly, if everything's going to change, it's got to change in my marriage, it's got to change in my parenting, and it's got to change in my uh, young people as I look at my parents and my honoring my parents. It's also got to change in how you deal with either being the boss or being the employee in my work. Everything's got to change. Oh, no, he's going there? Yes, I'm going there. Okay? How I treat my boss. That's where this text goes. It says, bond servants. Now, that, that term is slave, and it's really used of a Christian. So when I say bond servants, just say that's me. Ready? Bond servants. Now, that was like half of you. The rest of you are still bond servants, and you, need to, you guys need to be evolved. Over here, teens. Back row over there. Ready? Bond servants. All right. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants. Thank you. As bond servants. Why, it's getting weaker and weaker. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. All right, let's get into it here. There's six things that each one of them, if, if, you're, if you're a boss here today, you're in a boss position here, this is for you. If you're a worker in a job, that's for you, okay? And there are six things for each one of them to do. Number one, for the employee, he is to obey. He is to obey. Obey your earthly masters. I would say there is one caveat that could be supported by Scripture. Obey your earthly masters unless they're asking you to do something that is illegal. Okay? Obey. Secondly, with respect and fear. It says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's respect there, first respect. Same word used, let him respect Christ at the end of, or respect your husband at the end of verse 33 in chapter 5. So same word, with respect and with fear. That's the trembling part. How do you see your boss? Do you respect them? Do you fear them? With a sincere heart, as you would Christ. There's our, there's our common theme in all of this. But then it goes on to say, not in the way of eye service, right? That in his presence, but not fake. I think I had that down for number four. But also in his absence, the two are 
as people pleasers. So in their absence, do you still treat them the same way? I service when they're there. When they're not there, in their presence, not as a people pleaser, not fake. People pleasers are often fake. Knowing that what, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. See, that's to Christ. That's to Christ. And lastly, with goodwill. With goodwill. That's with favor and kindness. I mean, imagine if you wanted only favor for your boss or kindness for your boss. Now, I love what Paul does here by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to write a whole other list for the bosses. So if you're here in the room and you have a position where you are over other people, this is your list too. Right? If you're an owner of a company, this is your list too with one caveat. You're not told to obey, but you respect and fear. It says this, Masters, do the same to them. I mean, he makes it real simple. Whatever I just told them, I want you to do also. Respect and fear. In their absence, in their presence, don't be fake about it. Do it to Christ. Do it with goodwill. And then he adds one more statement. Stop threatening them. Stop threatening. Why are you threatening me? As my good buddy Chance would say, why are you bullying me, Pastor Nate? Right? And I love how he finishes it. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours. Listen, if you're, if you're just, you answer to somebody, you're a worker at a, at a factory or a job or whatever it might be, if you answer to somebody, they have a master. And it's Jesus Christ, whether they believe in him or not. And you have a master, and it's Jesus Christ. They're both the same, right? And there's no partiality with him. All of us are servants of him. He's our master, right? So here's our action statement for this one. Let my actions honor Christ and enrich, I I use that word, that's the right word, enrich my employer or my employee so that they too may come to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I use the word enrich because I, I just had the, the mindset that when I went to work uh, in my restaurants or whether I was managing dry cleaner or when I come here to church, I, I wanted to make the boss rich, literally, by my good work and attitude. I wanted to not only enrich their life, but actually make them rich, help them. It's really hard to share Christ when you're arguing with them all the time. But when you're, you're sharing the love of Christ by your actions and your attitude, it's a lot easier. Well, for those of us who are in Christ and belong to Him, for those of us who live by the Spirit, everything has to change in our marriages, in our family dynamics, in our work dynamic. They all have to change. Every one of them. So my question in wrapping this up is this. 
Look up here. Nothing to write just yet. What relationship do you need to work on? Is there a relationship that you need to work on in this list? Whether it be your, to your spouse, or whether it be to your children, or whether it be to your boss. What relationship do you need to work on? As the fabric of society around us falls apart, you and your family, you and yours can be committed afresh to honor and submit to God first and then to this relationship and make it a white-hot thing for His glory. So, write it down. What relationship am I going to work on? And I'm proposing for 40 days. Our worship team is going to come. We're going to sing our final song. But for 40 days, I want you to pray and work on that relationship. Can we do that? Um, did I? Is this, is this on? Can we do that? It's a long time, mate. Yeah, I know. But it's okay. Nothing happens in a week. Put it into good practice. Work on that relationship. Do you need to submit? Do you need to love more? Do you need to honor and obey? Do you need to not provoke? Do you need that list of six again to talk about how I'm supposed to treat my boss? Do you need that list of six again to know how I'm supposed to treat my employee? I can give it to you. Work on one of them, though. Too much would be too overwhelming, and you'll just quit. Work on one. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ, none of this makes any sense. Because your problem first is you've never submitted to God. You're staunch in your own way. But I'm here to tell you we serve a good, good Father, right? Who loves us. And as our text has told us, sent His Son and given us eternal life, He, he loved us enough to come and give up His life, to sanctify us, to make us a pure and perfect bride. He loved you enough that even in your staunch I don't need God, he's still speaking into your life saying, yes, you do. And today you can have what we call eternal life, what Jesus called eternal life, by believing that Jesus is the Christ. This is the time of year we always celebrate around Easter, the coming of Jesus as our Savior. In fact, I failed to show you our slide that we're going to start with next week when we start the book of John, the incarnation of God. We're going to be looking at the book of John for like a year and a half. And, and I'm super excited about it, but, but the beauty of that is that he came that we might have eternal life. John wrote in, in, in 1 John 5, I write these things to you that you may know you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has a son has life. And if you're here today without Jesus, these are all surface level things that might change for a short period of time. But if you've never submitted to God's will for your life, through salvation, you'll never submit to just trying to fix things. It starts there. It starts by calling on the name of the Lord, Scripture says. Call out to God and say, I'm a sinner, God. 
I, I, I need salvation. Maybe if you're watching online, you need to hear that. Confess your sin to Him. Turn from your sin. And come, submit that His way is better than your way. Your way was, I'll be okay. His way is, no, you're not. Your way is, I'll do enough good. His way is, you can't do enough good. So as as you ponder that, let me just tell you, submitting to Him is the first key that you need to do to make your relationships work. They'll never work apart from that. Work on that relationship. Okay. Well, enough instruction for the day. Let's stand. I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, if you're here and you need prayer, I'll be down front. If you're here and you need Jesus, I'd love to talk with you about it. Not only here, but after the service. But if you want to come, come. If you need prayer in your relationships, bring it to the front. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. We want to be here for you. Okay? So let's uh, just look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come in uh, the name of Jesus. We ask that you would help us uh, this instruction as we finish up this series on our, our, our new life and our families. That this hits to the root of that. Uh, our, our communication needed to be better. And so we touched on that. Our, our, our coming to you needed to be better. And so we touched on that. Our, our relationships with one another needed to be better. Our, our walk needed to be better. God, we pray that, that as you work out these things in relationship that you would encourage those that are trying and convict those that are being stubborn. Draw them to a place of repentance for that. And help our our marriages to grow stronger this week, God. Help, Help our relationships with our parents to grow stronger this week. And relationships at work. We know that society is is falling apart, but if we can do our part by glorifying you, God, we know that lives will be changed. We pray for those that are here today without Jesus or might be watching online. Father, we pray that, that you would convict them now of their need of salvation through Jesus Christ. That he was the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. That he gave his life so that we might have eternal life with you. Convict them that they, they, they don't need to press on on their own. They only need to turn to him for salvation. And Father, convict them that they might call on your name right now to be saved. That you would save them. Pray that they would repent of their sins and turn from their sinfulness and embrace you as Savior and Lord, dear Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. All right, well, let's sing this song together as we stand. Good, good Father. Sing it out. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. We're loved.